a local Virginia girl raised Christian in a hardcore household, evolved and grew into a beautiful agnostic. Now she interviews people and talks about Bible stories. This is Brittany's Bibble Stories. <laughs> Something like that. Lift me This is Bible Stories with Brittany, the Bible stories you know told wrong. I am your host. I was raised in a conservative Christian household. I was homeschooled for eight years, went to a private Christian school before I went to a public school, but I am revisiting it, retelling it, and examining it from a new angle. This week, my guest is Brian. We used to work together at a community college. It was very fun. Uh, So Brian, thanks for being on the show. What would you say your upbringing was in terms of religion? Hey, so... Weird is my definition of it. So baptized into the Catholic tradition, mm. stepped away from that, dabbled in Baptist tradition for a little bit, stepped away from that, mm. went back to Catholicism for a little bit, stepped away from that, went back to Baptist tradition <laughs> for a little bit, stepped away from that, dabbled in like every flavor of Christianity you can think of, and then just stuck with the the Baptist for whatever crazy reason. Yeah. So I guess to answer, I guess the follow-up question to preemptively answer that, <laughs> uh, I've drank the Kool-Aid and I've Ooh. continued to drink the Kool-Aid, but I do recognize that I am drinking Kool-Aid and this Kool-Aid is funky at times. <laughs> so I guess in more proper terms, um, indoctrinated to an extent, but recognize there are limits to my belief and my explanation of things. I don't know. Percentage-wise, I don't know. Like, 50% religious, 50% spiritual, but it, it, it wavers. So... Depending on the day, week, and year. Right. So if you were filling out, like, like a, a survey of your religion, would you, like, check Christian? Would you check, you know, agnostic? Check spiritual? Check, please don't ask me this question. <laughs> Oh, well, I guess to make it easier, I would say I would identify as Christian. I don't particularly subscribe to any one particular flavor of Christianity, but Baptist, for whatever reason, sticks out to me for, for, for right now. So I may revisit. Right now, it seems like it's a good fit for me for right now. Do you think it's like the the ideology of the Baptist faith or like specifically the community that you have at a Baptist church? Um, I think more so the community because mm-hmm. if anything, like as most people would agree, like people go to church more for the community than anything. I mean, yes, there's Jesus and there's faith and there's all that other stuff that they kind of sell, mm-hmm. but and those are all nice and all, but I think I like this community more. Yeah, I mean that for right now it's more so community because in undergrad I dabbled in everything until I found some community and I don't think I really found that per se in like a proper church but I found mm-hmm. that through like randos that kind of believed or really believed that the whole Jesus thing but like they didn't we didn't all come from the same background so it, I think it's I'm kind of leaning more toward that one more than anything. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense to me. 
All right, so so where I want to start us off is I want to pick off where I left off on the last church history episode. So on the last episode, we kind of left off with all these dang barbarians, some issues in the church, but mostly these gosh dang barbarians starting some problems. So we have like this interesting balance where we have like the church in Rome who is technically like ideologically the same as the church in the East but they aren't really ruled by the same ruler as the church in the East. They don't really have any of Constantinople's uh, protection from like the Byzantine empire. So the Roman church is kind of on their own with all of these Western barbarians who are coming in. Rome has no one to protect them. So they have to make these agreements with like these Franks to try and like keep being alive. While on the Eastern church, they're just protected by the Byzantine Empire. They don't really need to worry about these barbarians. So this is kind of like the start of like the West versus East when it comes to the church. Like a lot of it has to do with language where in Rome, you know, they're speaking Latin or at least a version of Latin still. While in Constantinople, they're speaking Greek. So there's already like this division just between like the languages. Basically, these freaking Lombards come in and they just start screwing over like the Roman popes. So the Roman popes are like, oh, no, what do we do? So they pay the Franks for protection because the Eastern emperor has no power. His like seat of power is so far away. There's nothing he can do with Italy at this point in time. So it's just like they got to do they're on their own and they like feel that they're on their own. But at the same time, they're like trying to like convert all these like barbarians. So. So this is like when uh, St. Patrick goes to Ireland, he gets enslaved, mm-hmm. he escapes, then he comes back and he gets consecrated as like a bishop and he goes back to Ireland and then he just starts trying to like convert everyone to like Roman Christianity at the time. And that's interesting because the language, I mean, I know these are all like Germanic, the language of Europe, like how do you go about proselytizing to Mm-hmm. I don't speak your language, people. Yeah, because that's the thing that gets me is it's like even the Latin church isn't really speaking Latin anymore because it's not it's not like classical Latin is a thing. It's been hundreds of years since like Jesus died. And so like the Roman Empire has changed so much. So even these like tribes, they aren't really speaking like French or German or whatever. They're speaking like other proto languages. So they're just kind of like mashing together like Latin and these other languages to create whole new language systems. It's just really crazy. The influence of Latin, not just through the Romans, but specifically through like the Catholic church. And then you have like the influence of like the Irish on the Catholic church where it's like, not only did this guy go there to, to convert people, but then they influenced him and like had an impact on like Christianity too, which is wild. But the other thing that gets me is like, so you have these Christian man- missionaries going to like Britain, but they weren't nearly as successful as the missionaries in Ireland. Cause like the Britons had already like kind of gotten over the whole thing with the Romans. So it's like these missionaries came, they like converted a lot of these Britons to Christianity. And then like all these Celtic people like came in and just conquered them. And they're like, ah, fuck it. There's, there's no reason this Christianity is weak. It can't do anything for me. And then they converted back to paganism. And then some of those pagans, like they reconverted to Christianity, but then they like added their own like pagan flavor to Christianity. So they added all of like this Norse mythology to like their version of Christianity, which I think is just wild. So this is, of course, whole different continent, whole different time. So it kind of it kind of sounds like uh, when the 
Europeans brought the Christianity to the Americas mm. and the people in the Louisiana, they throw in some of their stuff and that stuff. And it's just like voodoo and Jesus and some of a bunch of other stuff. I mean, of course, fact check this because I'm going off of like random stuff I remember. I don't know. I feel like that's that makes sense to me because I think like all religion is just like a a, a soup, you know? You just get a, like a nice Ooh. melting pot where you mix it all together, add a little flavor of this, little flavor of that. It's a gumbo. It's a gumbo. It's Cajun. It's Cajun food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when you look at um like Christian. Well, this is something I'll get into later. But like, if you look at like Christianity, how it came to like the new world, like the structure of it, and then if you just look at the the structure of Christianity on a different continent, how it's wildly different in North America versus South America. Christianity is different if you're white versus if you're black. It's just like really interesting, like how it just com completely changes depending on who is practicing Christianity. So Yeah, again, with the whole different flavors of Christianity. So it, it can't hurt to sample like, OK, this they make gumbo this way. Mm. So we use squirrel meat versus we use, I don't know, venison. I don't know how to make gumbo. I just know it's like a <laughs> whole bunch of random- venison meat. for gumbo. You gotta, <laughs> there's like different ways to make it, but I, I've never had venison. If I, I should try venison gumbo. I've never had venison before. Is it good? Gamey. That's gamey. what, I mean, that's, I think everybody says that's mm. gamey, but I guess these people, the people I ate it from didn't know how to prepare it right. But anyway, yes. that's another thing in itself. Back to paganism, adding its own flavor. You know, we get those good spices mixed into Christianity, you know, get those Cajun flows. So the whole arguments in Christianity themselves get really spicy. They have like all of these worries that people aren't actually worshiping God, but they're worshiping images. So in all of these churches that they're starting to build, they're making like these really beautiful like medieval artworks, like these medieval representations of Jesus. And like a lot of people can't read. So they have like a lot of these really beautiful like tapestries and other like paintings and stuff of biblical scenes to like ostensibly teach the Bible. But the argument becomes, are they worshiping these you know, icons? Is this like a golden calf or are they actually mm -hmm. using them as like a representation of God? It comes to like a head where you have the Byzantine emperor Leo III bans all pictorial representations of Jesus, the saints, Bible scenes, anything like that. Anything that is like a pictorial representation out and they just destroy a lot of like this ancient art because they're like, nope, heretical, can't have any of that. So then Pope Gregory III is like, what the fuck are you doing? That's like really weird because like, you know, Pope Gregory, he's in Rome. He thinks these things are just cool looking. So that's when... In the Byzantine Empire, at least, crosses become really popular because they aren't like a pictorial representation of any specific like saint or anything. So this is when like crosses start getting hung up on walls, like nailed up in front of like towns and like cities and stuff like that as like a, a visual representation of Christianity without violating this rule. So there's like this whole like iconoclast council in 754, which rules that all holy portraits are heretical because they're not coming from a Christian culture. They're coming from a culture from before Christianity and therefore it's heresy. Everyone's just calling everyone a heretic right now. So then there's the second council of Nicaea that declares that, no, we're not heretics, you're heretics. If you're an iconoclast, that means you're a heretic. So it's just like, oh man, this is just a big, Big, dumb debate about just art and who likes the art and who doesn't get to have the good, good art. 
It is. I mean, th- th- I mean, this is to a sidebar to this conversation. I remember Gia Sophia in. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, cannot remember the dang city in Turkey. <laughs> it, they have a lot of icon icons in mm. in what, when it was still you know doing the Christian thing there. Istanbul. And th- see, I knew it was a big city, and I could not remember it. And, is it Constantinople yeah. or is it Istanbul or is it Byzantium? Um, where is like Hagia Sophia? It depends on what time, yeah. I guess, where in the timeline we are. But yeah. I remember, I, I was going to go on another side tangent, but let me continue on the Hagia Sophia thing. <laughs> so I remember Hagia Sophia icons because, you know, like you mentioned earlier, for the illiterate people, like, you know, ooh, Jesus is born and Jesus is crucified and blah, blah, blah. And that's how you kind of like proselytize to those people. Jump ahead, different timeline where like the the, the Muslims come in and, take down the icon icons because you know mm-hmm. they consider that to be like idolatry but anyway uh sidebar to this sidebar <laughs> uh, i don't know if that is if it's still a thing but there there used to be a resident cat that used to roam hagia sophia and i used to see it on the tumblr when tumblr was well tumblr is still a thing but on the tumblr it was like oh look at the cat i forget the name of the cat but there's a resident cat circling back to the thing about people fighting about icons in the council thing well i want to now i'm distracted by hagia sophia like the thing that i love about hagia sophia is it's been like so many different things just like istanbul has been so many different things right so it was like it was made like it was constructed in 537 537. I was, I was right. I had read it earlier today, so I I was close. Yeah. So it was made in 537 in Constantinople. That's where it was at the time. And so it was under um, like the Byzantine Christian cathedral originally, because that's how it was. Mm. And that's how it stayed until later. But it's like really interesting how it like was Byzantine Christianity. Then it was Roman like Catholic cathedral. And then it went back to Byzantine Christianity and then it became a mosque for like 500 years and then yep, it became yep, yep. a museum and then last year yep. it went back to being a mosque. Turkey is predominantly Muslim so it would make sense. Yeah, for that bully for them. It's 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 just like an un I think making it a museum is the best way to make it neutral so that like all religions can have access to it because it's so important to so many different groups. That's one argument. The other argument is like, who the fuck cares? It's the same physical location. If it's a mosque or if it's a church, you can like pray to whoever you want. It doesn't really matter what it's called. That also is true. Yeah. That also is true. But yeah, I mean, I, I can see how it's just like, ooh, was that really necessary to like, you know, declare it that? Bit of like a nationalist, like, you know, dick measuring contest. At least that's how I interpret <laughs> it. Okay, so so this whole debate about art is important because it, it like highlights this this difference between the Western church and the Eastern church. So this is like the beginning of the split is like this debate about specific um, issues. There's some other issues that are starting to develop between the two as well. So one of them is about um, Eucharist. Should you have leavened or unleavened bread? This is such an important question. I really care deeply about whether or not my bread is leavened or unleavened. Does Jesus's body have yeast or not? Stupid they, argument. They they really like they really dislike the yeast. But I, I understand yeast is a metaphor for change. But anyways, 
it's, yeah. it does seem it, dumb. It doesn't matter. It That's just the long, it doesn't matter. It's like not a, uh, as my mother would say, it's not a salvation issue. So who cares? But the other one was like mm. whether or not priests can marry where it's like the uh, Catholic church priests could not marry, but in the Eastern church priests could marry and have families and all that. So that was like more of a debate that I could understand. Around, like, the same time period, uh, the whole Iberian Peninsula, what is now uh, Spain and Portugal, was conquered by Muslims, which is like, whew, oh no, we can't have that. Uh, so there's, like, this Visigoth king who just gets absolutely wrecked, and the Muslims are like, hey, losers, can't freaking deal with us, because they're just, like, really good at this time, like, it causes like this whole antipathy against Muslims where throughout Europe, there's a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment, a lot of anti-Arab sentiment. And this, you know, is still felt even today in a lot of ways when it comes to like uh, a lot of the Spanish influence when it comes to like their art where you have like, you know, Granada, like speaking of beautiful places, like um, in Granada, there's the Alhambra, which has like a really interesting mm. mix of like that uh, Arabic, like arabesque, like that beautiful, beautiful style of architecture. But it kind of got retaken over by, you know, Catholicism later, which is just another really interesting mix of it. And I remember when I was taking Spanish in high school, uh, a lot of Spanish words are like loner words from Arabic, like um, mm. their word for almond that comes from Arabic. And there's like a bunch of other stuff, too, which I think is really interesting, like the influence on language from, you know, not just Christianity, not just Latin, but from Arabic as well. At, at this point in time, like everyone's just really stupid. Like there's it's the, it's the Middle Ages. It's a bad time. It's just a bad time. Everything's falling apart. It's just chaos. So. Most people are illiterate, you know, like we were talking about with, uh, you know, biblical scenes to teach the Bible and stuff like that. But the problem is most of the priests are illiterate. So even the priests can't like read the Bible oh, at all. Ma'am. Yeah. Oh, ma'am. You could bl blind leading the blind. Exactly. Okay. Bible says whatever I say, it says, give me 20 bucks. That's what the Bible says. Charlemagne, my boy. Whew, love me some Charlemagne. He comes in. He's like, I'm fucking done with this. This is stupid. Charlemagne can't read, but he's like, I know it's important for these boys to be able to read. So he sets up like a bunch of schools to like train like the clergy, to train like court scribes so they can like keep, you know, counts of everything. And the really interesting thing that he does by creating these schools is he creates a standardized Latin script, which makes it a lot easier for more people to read. So the really like nerdy interest that I have in this standardized <laughs> script is um, sidebar, sidebar. We can blame Charlemagne for freaking learning all the damn declensions in in Latin class because mm -hmm. I took Latin for a semester. I'm like, what? Why? He was really like, at least his people were really into grammar, and I I respect that because I think you know at the time everything was fucked. So I can understand them being like, no, we need to have rules. We need to have order. Mm -hmm. We need to have understood. Yeah. So like, if you if you Google like. Like the Vulgate, like the original Bible in like mm -hmm. the medieval like Latin, it's god awful. It's hor. I don't know how anyone reads it. It's just terrible, and it's not even like the aging process. It was. It's just terrible because it's like, it's not really like classical Latin because it was written later. It's like this weird medieval Latin that doesn't have any like spaces and the punctuation's all weird and like none of like the writing is standardized. So Charlemagne is like. Nah, done with that. So they standardize the Latin script. He introduces upper and lowercase letters, which is really important. He also introduces spacing and uh, like the rules for like 
using uppercase versus lowercase letters for like nouns and stuff. So it just makes the reading process a lot simpler for more people. So like, you know, not a lot of people could read after this, but a lot more people could specifically in the church, which means that you could have a lot more educated people actually teaching what's in the dang Bible instead of just being like, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. I take my criticism back. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, pros and cons. I think rules have value, but you know, or like how many centuries later, I'm sure we can ignore a lot of Latin declensions unless you're really into it. My mom would just, if she heard that, she would be so mad. My mom's a Latin teacher. She'd be like, no, it's very important to know all the Latin declensions. I, I, I understand the value of it. This trauma from learning it, but mm. continue. continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has a lot of opinions about how uh, poorly Latin is taught. Um, you would have liked my mom as a Latin teacher. She's a lot of fun. You uh, learn how to ask people questions with clue she would have Scrabble for all of her kids so they can use Scrabble to learn a lot of Latin vocabulary words. Uh, every year she would get a giant wheel of cheese so that the kids could like use a stick and like roll it down the hallways like they used to do in Rome. So a fun teacher. I'm all for that. I yeah. wish I took Latin with her. Yeah. She also she also bought like this a cake mold, but for like the Coliseum. <laughs> I don't know. She would only make that once a year, but yeah, fun teacher. But yeah, so so all of this that's happening with like the standardization of like Latin, it's really solidifying like this difference between the Greek East and the Latin West. And this is just pushing it forward. So what's also happening at this time is there's like this debate about the filioque. I don't know. It's fucking Latin. It's like F-I-L-I-Q-U-E. But it's like, nope. <laughs> exactly. Don't even try. So it's this debate about where the Holy Spirit comes from. Does the Holy Spirit come from the Father and the Son? Or does it come just from the Father? Hot debate. I'm sure you have a lot of important takes on that because we both care so much about if the Holy Spirit comes from the Father and the Son or just the Father. I don't get why it's Amen. a big deal. I Amen. They, they had time. They mm-hmm. didn't have, like, you know... Uh, modern conveniences that we do so you know like we're trying to decide what to watch next on netflix mm-hmm. and they're trying to decide you know where jesus and the holy spirit are coming from so i, I get it you, something to pass the time i get it I get yeah it. but it's like you gotta pass the time i feel that i love a good debate for the sake of it but like once again who cares about yeast in your brand <laughs> I can't. I just can't. Like all of these like really ancient like religious debates, every time it blows my mind, I'm like, that's why you just murdered thousands of people because of this. Hey, this is the hill they chose to to die on. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I always think it's just like a surrogate for like the real issue, which is power. So so all of this was happening in like 809 in the year of our Lord and Savior. And so like this is basically like the start of the unified church becoming separate because their ideology is changing. The source of power is changing. And like the main issue is who is in charge? Is it the Pope in Rome or is it the Mm. patriarch in Constantinople? Because the patriarch Mm. says the Roman bishop has primacy, but not supremacy. So the whole thing is, is that the Pope in Rome is the first amongst equals, which I love that's such a great phrase i love it so much (laughs) but so that's like a hot thing where it's like so the pope in rome is always like you know pushing at the patriarch in constantinople being like no i'm actually in charge but the patriarch is like well 
I'm where the emperor is. I'm at like the capital city. What are you going to do? So this just goes on for like 200 years of them just like having little spats and just being real bitches to each other. But it isn't until 1054 AD when the great East-West schism happens. So this is like a big deal. Like the last schism happened like 600 years before when there was like a great debate about the Oriental Orthodox Church. And they just got booted out, just straight up kicked out. Good luck. Figure your shit out somewhere else. So that was like, you know, the last big time. So they've been unified for a very long time since then. So here's what happens. Got this pope. He's just like feisting, feisting for some power. Who knows what gets them off. But he decides all of these Greek churches in Italy. Nah, you got to do it the Latin way. You know, no fucking yeast. You can't be married. You got to teach it in Latin. So you got to shut those those churches down. So then the patriarch in Constantinople is like, the fuck are you doing? I'll do the same. So he says, all you Latin churches in Constantinople, get that, get that yeast in your bread, you know, get married. Like you got to teach in Greek. So it's, it's just like this weird power struggle between the two of them. So mm. what happens is the Pope sends over his like official, like delegates. I think they're called like legions or something like that. So he sends over like his papal legions to like, talk to the patriarch and like figure this shit out. But while the papal legions are over in Constantinople, the Pope dies. So the papal legions are like, fuck it. We can do whatever we want. So they excommunicate the patriarch in Constantinople. And the patriarch in Constantinople is like, you did what? And then he excommunicates all of the legions. And it's just like, whoo, what a shit show. Like everyone's having a fit. Because then it's like, can the papal legions even excommunicate him? It doesn't matter because he excommunicated them right back. He's not going to like bow to Rome. So it's just like, damn, what a spicy start about just languages. Wild. Here's the fucking crazy part, right? Those excommunications happened, like I said, 1054 AD. Guess when those excommunications were rescinded. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like yesterday. Like you just received them just yesterday. I mean, that's a good one. That's that's a solid guess. It was actually 1965. Get out. 900 years. 900 years of a fucking grudge. Crazy. You know what? I thought I was petty. No, I'm not 900 years petty. I mean, then again, I haven't lived 900 years. So if I were to discover like, you know, you know, just Methuselah kind of deal Mm. and just live 900 years, I would come, come, Come revisit at that time in whatever shape or form that you may exist at that time. If I were to live another 900 years. I just feel like I wouldn't fucking care. I don't even care about things that happened like two years ago. I'm like, ah, you know, there are worse people in the world. So you screwed me over that one time. It's fine. (laughs) The thing that like is really wild is like, so, so there actually were like one or two reconciliation attempts, um, after this happened, obviously they didn't take root, but they were still like, had this big excommunication, but they were still kind of in toss with each other. So this is like a little bit of a sidebar before we get back to that story. But while the Pope is, you know, fighting with the Eastern church, kind of trying to become unified again, uh, the Pope is also fighting with the Holy Roman Empire, Emperor, which is separate. So there's like this whole thing where like Rome is on its own, And the papacy has to like fund their own defense. So they're kind of like 
still having a lot of deference to the Holy Roman Emperor, but the Holy Roman Emperor isn't really doing that much for them. So, so what the Holy Roman Emperor is doing is appointing bishops. So this is like mm, money, like this is like corruption at its finest. So what happens mm. is the emperor will appoint different noblemen to become bishops. The bishops, they don't have any kids, you know, because they're celibate. So when the bishop dies, the bishop's lands pass back to the king. So the king can nominate a new noble person to take over those lands. Or they cannot appoint someone and just collect all the revenues from that land in holding until a new bishop is appointed, which could be whenever the king says. And they're like, we're just holding this and we'll pay you back. But they pretty much never pay back like the new bishop for that money. So it's just a way of them like to get more money and to control noblemen and to like be able to influence who does what. So it's just like, oh, such a good scheme. What happens is there's this pope and he's like, the fuck you doing? I want to be in charge. I want that power. So this is like a wild story I really like. So he issues the Dictus Pape, which declares that only the pope can nominate bishops. So at this time, Henry IV is emperor and he's like, Fuck that. I'm going to keep doing this. I get a lot of money this way. This is exactly what I need. And he gets excommunicated by the Pope. This is like a really interesting design of like who has power, the Pope or the Emperor. So Mm. in this specific time period, the Pope has all the fucking power here because the king is not going to get into heaven. He needs to be forgiven in his mind. He needs to be like unexcommunicated. So this is where we get into some drama. So the Pope is chilling out in this place called uh, Canosa or anyway, C-A-N-O-S-S-A. I can't pronounce shit. So he has to walk to Canosa. So he gets to the gate. The Pope's like, nah, don't let him in. So he puts on a shirt hair. He takes off his shoes. He begs for forgiveness. There's a blizzard. The Pope doesn't let him in for three days, supposedly. And like his wife has to take off her shoes. All of this stuff of like penance and, you know, just begging for forgiveness at the door. He's finally let in. He has to kneel before the Pope to get back into the Pope's good graces. He has just made the Pope's bitch. And so that's how the Pope got back the right to nominate their own bishops and make those own decisions, at least for that point in time. Um, There was like another uh, concordant of worms that settled the dispute once and for all. I just love that idea of just like, the Pope is just so powerful. He can make a king stay out in a blizzard. I, yeah. yeah. That was Crazy. a power move. Such a power Three days. Who knows how much of it is true, but I love that story. And now some ads. Witch Fix. This moon cycle, invest in yourself with a monthly potion delivery service. Our trained alchemists and speculative philosophers will create a custom shipment of consecration oils, healing ointments, aphrodisiac tinctures, and sleepy time tea. Treat yourself right this new moon and use coupon code BibbleBrittany for a complimentary smudging stick. All right, enough with the ads. Back to the show. So we're going to go back to the, the shit show that's happening between the East and the West. This, this shit gets real feisty. So this is Crusades level feisty. That's right. We're finally at the Crusades. There's like a fucking billion fucking Crusades. Like I cannot get into yeah. all the details. There's so many goddamn too Crusades. Many. Like Too many. Too, too many. many. Like it's so stupid. So, so this whole like shit show with like this stupid crusade, it starts in 1095 and it always starts because like religious groups, they just can't play nice together and share their toys. So what happens is 
there's just like a lot of turmoil, like the uh, like a lot of Muslims in this area are gaining a lot of power, a lot of land. So they take over Jerusalem and they say, oh, I see you Christians are coming to do pilgrimages in the Holy Land. No, no, no. Can't do that anymore. So they ban Christians from coming to the Holy Land. Pisses off the Pope. He doesn't like that. So he issues like this whole thing where he's like, all of you good Christians, you need to go to the Holy Land. You need to like fight these Turks and you need to do like an armed pilgrimage is like the phrasing of it. Just a bunch of poor people get all riled up and they go to like Anatolia and they get annihilated. They get utterly annihilated by the Turks, like just wrecked. But the thing that happens is they get all riled up. So it starts riling up a lot of other people. So this is like the kind of fucked up thing. But like in in Germany, because everyone's getting so riled up, they have like all this anti-Muslim sentiment, like these infidels or invaders, these anti-Christians in their mind. They they need to be stopped. So their view is, why would I go all the way to Jerusalem to fight these Muslims when I could just kill Jews at home. So that's what they do. They go on this whole like genocidal thing against Jewish people. And it's just like, these poor Jewish people, they never catch a break, especially in Germany, even though Germany doesn't really exist at the time. It's just never catch a break. They're just chilling, doing their own thing. Muslims do something. Hey, let's kill some Jewish people instead. That's like the start of the crusade. So all of those like poor people get murdered. So then a bunch of noblemen are like, oh, that, that doesn't look good on us. So they decide, nah, we're going to do the crusade and we're going to do it right. So all these rich boys get together and they get like a hundred thousand people. That's actually a lot for the time period. Like if you think about oh, yeah. like how many people were on the earth at that point, that's yeah. a lot of dudes. That's like a whole country. No, that's like three, four countries. Yeah. Sorry. Like literally three or four countries. Cause it was like, you got like the Franks, you got like the, the, not the Franks. I don't know if they're called the Franks anymore, but you get like all of like the main, like European countries coming together with like a hundred thousand dudes, which is like really crazy. So they march to Edessa and it, it already starts off real bad. They're like starving. They're thirsty. They get all these like horrible diseases. They have like no operational like plans or structures for like supplies. They're just very bad at being a giant army. So so even though they had all these terrible setbacks on the way there, they take over Edessa, they take over Antioch in 1098, they take over Jerusalem in 1099, and then they establish like this uh, county of Tripoli. So they were like, fuck yeah, we did a great job. We took over all these places. We established a crusader state. And they pat themselves on the back, head right back home. They're like, done. No. <laughs> That was the first crusade. It, it went as really, really well, but it didn't like stick. So like these Turks, they come back, they take back over like Jerusalem on a lot of other stuff that's going on. So like everyone's like, they took back over Jerusalem. Oh no, all of our like pilgrims can't go there. So there's like a second crusade, huge failure, massive failure. It's led by kings and they all, it just, mm, just doesn't go well. The third crusade is pretty successful, you know, led by kings again. They take over, uh, I think it's pronounced Jaffa and Acre, but they don't take, they don't take Jerusalem back. So I really like the third crusade for this reason, which is that the famous Frederick Barbarossa, he gets a huge army, like a massive army. And they're marching towards Anatolia to like take back Jerusalem. And he drowns in a fucking river just falls off his horse and drowns in a river. 
it, it's kind of like again this is like a apropos of nothing rasputin like mm, totally mm-hmm. different hundreds of years later but it's like rasputin yeah whole different topic in itself Dude, i love rasputin i love like all the stories around him it's like because it's so recent in terms of like a hundred years from now where it's just like what was up with that dude yeah <laughs> yeah I don't know. I, I I like a lot of like that whole like uh, modern like mystics where it's like just far enough in the past that we don't have like actual data. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, he was definitely a charlatan. Now we're just like pretty sure he's a charlatan. But what if he wasn't? Oh, I heard this interesting thing about Rasputin, which is that he was treating, um, you know, the, the royalty's son. I think his name was like Alexander who had like um, hemophilia. And that the reason mm-hmm. why Rasputin uh, helped the son feel better is he would send away all the doctors and the doctors kept giving um, Prince Alexander aspirin, which is the worst thing to give someone with a bleeding disorder. So even though mm-hmm. everything that Rasputin was doing wasn't actually helping him by just stopping the doctors from trying to help it, it was much better. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I like that theory. I think it, it checks out in a lot of ways. Third Crusade, he drowns in a river, so all of his boys are just like, I don't care anymore. So they they just they just give up. They like make a truce though, so Christians can still go to Jerusalem and like, you know, do their thing. This is where things get like really stupid for the Fourth Crusade. So there's this Pope named Pope Innocent the Third, which is the worst name for a Pope, because no Pope is innocent. But uh lies. So once again, you know, Jerusalem gets taken. So they're trying to take it back. So this crusade is just the worst one because the crusaders, they don't have any money. So they go to this Catholic city, Zara, and they sack it for money. And the Pope hears about this. And he's like, you did what? And he excommunicates all of the crusaders. Every single crusader there who sacked the city gets excommunicated. So they're on this holy mission to a holy land and they all get excommunicated it's like whoa this is already off to a bad start they don't even get to jerusalem they get sidetracked by their need for money so half of them go to acre which is like the place they took last time to try and like defend it and half of them go to constantinople because they've been convinced by this one guy to try and take it back over so he can become king and they're like cool if we do this will you pay us and he's like definitely so they go to Constantinople, they restore this king, they win, and they start getting their money. But then the king that they restored, the people fucking hate, so they get rid of him, they depose him. And the crusaders are like, well, how are we going to get paid if this guy we just reinstated just got deposed again? And they're like, fuck it. And they sack Constantinople. They go nuts. They fuck it all up. So this happens in 1204. That's... The end of any conversation about the East Church and the West Church getting back together. As soon as these, like, holy crusaders sat Constantinople, done, over, never getting back together, ever. Your comment earlier where you said, I wouldn't be surprised if it was last year about the uh, undoing of the excommunications. When do you think the Catholic Church apologized for the crusaders sacking the byzantine empire seven o'clock seven o'clock no o'clock 2004 2004 is when pope john paul ii apologized for the sacking of constantinople in 1204 that was like a year right before he 
he kicked the bucket himself. Because I think, if I remember, he passed in 05. So that was like last big thing. I mean, mm. he probably did other big things, but that was like the last big thing. Yeah, I, I was not raised Catholic, so I do not know very much about the specifics when it comes to like what different popes did. I remember he looked like Emperor Palpatine, and that's about it. This is true. <laughs> this is true. All right, so those are like the the main crusades, and then it, it just keeps going. The crusades do not stop. So fifth crusade has happened. They're trying to like fight Egypt. They just get wrecked, absolutely wrecked, and they the Egyptians like force a uh, an eight year truce. Sixth crusade, it doesn't have a battle at all. There's actually a diplomatic agreement where Jerusalem is given back to the crusaders. I'm like, clearly the sixth crusade is the best crusade. Because they just talked it out and figured out a good deal for each other. My favorite crusade. Seventh crusade is a wild one. So Louis the Ninth of France, he goes, he loses so hard. He's kidnapped and he's ransomed back to France for like, from my like back of envelope Wikipedia math, like a million dollars. So he's ransomed back after the failure of a seventh crusade. That's not enough for him. He goes back for an eighth crusade, but this time he and his entire army get sick and he dies. So all of his sick army is just like, fuck it. And they go back home. The last fucking crusade. This is the one back at the city of Acre. Uh, the the Turks just, just fuck it up. They just take it over. It's all over. It, it goes down in 1291. And that's like officially the end of the stupidest crusades of all time. Like this is what gets me is like people fucking love the crusades like in video games and stuff. And I'm like, you do they know they're do. all stupid. I mean, how many, you know how many movies have been made about this fiasco? I mean, so I was many. thinking about crusades earlier and it was like, this is a dope movie, but long as hell. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how accurate. I mean, you know, there's a lot of creative license. Definitely Kingdom of not. Heaven with, yeah. um, you remember this? You yeah. remember this? No, Legolas is in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Do you not uh, remember Orlando Bloom? That's his name. Scar was in it from Lion King. <gasps> he was in it. Oh, oh, Jeremy Irons. Oh, I love Sorry, missing Jeremy it's Irons. Weird. It's weird and also appropriate that he would play uh, Alfred Pennyworth in the Justice League movie. Anyway, that's not, that's way off topic now, but it's yeah. a long movie. I remember watching it the one time, like, wow, this was good, but this was too long. Way but too anyway, long. anyway. Yeah, so so going back to our conversation about Hagia Sophia, so this is the time period from when Istanbul was sacked in 1204. This is when Hagia Sophia becomes Roman Catholic until it's taken back in 1261. And then, like, I don't know what the fuck happens. Like, it just goes straight back to being a Byzantine church until it, like, becomes a mosque. So I don't really know how they, like, negotiated that. There's just like, it's really interesting because like, so so what I was reading about Hagia Sophia specifically is that it has like a bunch of mosaics um, of like mm-hmm. Jesus, you know, Mary, mm-hmm. like all of this other stuff. And like some of it was destroyed, but some of it was just plastered over, which is really interesting. Yeah. So it's this idea that you would have to destroy potentially some more recent like Islamic art that is, mm-hmm. you know, in the Hagia Sophia to see like this more ancient art that's potentially been plastered over. Because there's like all these added architectural features that weren't there initially. So it's just really interesting, this idea of like this layering of history where it's like clearly doesn't belong to one group and and you can't access part of it without destroying another part of it. And I think that's just like such a, a great story for like all these conflicts that are happening in regards to like religion in that area where it's like they all have 
equal worthless claims on the same area where it's just like, just give it to the atheists or like the Buddhists. The Buddhists would know what to do with Hagia Sophia. That's my, my stance. <laughs> I mean, but, but, you know, like, like to go back to the, you know, destroying one art to kind of see the, it's a great metaphor for like the constant conflict we have even now with like my flavor of ice cream is better than your flavor of mm, ice cream, mm-hmm. you know? So it, the other uh, really cool like religious building that is happening at this time is Notre Dame. So Notre Dame was uh, initially started in 1163 and it was completed a hundred fucking years later in 1260. It's just like a hundred years. It's a huge thing. It's I mean, massive. Massive. I mean, think about it. It's like, you know, I mean, this is like a throwback to another architectural feat. Still, people are still trying to figure out how the Egyptians built the pyramids. Mm. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how these French people built this whole cathedral. I mean, granted, this was like, you know, a lot later and they had developed, you know, a little bit more in engineering and random other things. But it's but that doesn't take away from like, how did these people just build such massive things without like dying? Because I feel like. Oh, you they, know, they you hear die. stories of, of people sure building, yeah, the building the Empire State Building, and then mm. like just falling to their death. I'm like, I, I would not be surprised if Notre Dame was like a, you know, one of those part of the ghost story things where like instead of an old Indian burial ground, it's an old French burial ground. Oh, for like sure, there's a bunch of bodies somewhere in there. Like, there's no way there isn't. I mean. There, there's no way you can build any of these things with without blood. Like even if you know, going back to the pyramids, like you know the uh, like the the Jewish uh, slaves didn't build the pyramids, but it's like who the fuck did? Because like that was definitely man-made sweat labor, just getting all of that shit up for centuries. And I'm like, I can't focus on making my dinner for an hour. How the hell do you focus on making like a cathedral or a pyramid for like a century? Like, it's just crazy because it's like, don't get me wrong, Notre Dame, beautiful, beautiful architecture, yep. like so impressive. But it's it's just like, how is this more valuable than some other space? You know, like some other use of all of this energy where you just have all of this like human life, like lost in the Crusades, you know. Uh, on the Christian side and on the the Muslim side, where it's like like the Arabic Empire at this point in time is like so much more advanced than like the the Western Empire, where they have like all these really intricate systems of like math and history and philosophy. Like they're having a golden age in a lot of ways. Same, you know, in China during a similar time period, everything is just so fucked up in the West during this time period, and they still built like this huge, beautiful cathedral instead of doing something else like not shitting in the streets <laughs> fixing the aqueducts they could have been fixing the aqueducts because they had the damn they had the infrastructure for the aqueducts change is slow and change is incremental i don't think they got that part they got that memo yet just crazy to me like the whole the whole middle ages is just like the worst time period like i would for sure if i were like time traveling a i wouldn't time travel before like 1970 but if I were a white man, I would not, I would skip over the Middle Ages. I'd go straight to Rome, skip over that to go to like, hmm, maybe 1800s. I mean, they had more sanitation then. Um, that, I mean, that may be the case, but I feel like because we're Americans living in 
this Western world. It's, mm. you know, we, we have this conception or perception that the West is the best, mm. but, but we look at other people in same timeline. We're like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, you know, making algebra happen and we're, you know, writing poetry and we're trying to, we're, no, we're, we're going to fight this person because my flavor of chocolate is better than your flavor of chocolate. Yep. I don't know. It's just such weird tribalism and it's like, it's inescapable. Like even like, it seems like no organization can survive it. Cause it's like, you know, spoiler alert, this isn't the last schism in the church. Like there are more schisms in the church. It just seems like any unifying group, just the longer it goes on, it's either like continuously breaking into smaller and smaller pieces. Or if you look at like corporations in America, it's like continuously getting into like just more and more analogous blobs of taking over everything else. This is Bibble Stories with Brittany. Thanks for being on this show. I really appreciate it. No problem. I enjoyed learning a lot more history than I ever learned in any history class. I appreciate (laughs) that. And thank you. Thank you. That's it for the show today. Special thanks to Phil for help with audio production, composing the opening theme song, and laughing at all my stupid jokes. Email me at artcannotbeamonologue at gmail.com to send me your feedback or cute pet pictures. Check the description for our website link and our social media presence. In this year of our Lord and Savior, 2021, good luck and Godspeed. Mark is such a weird book. I mean, from what I remember, because I was also a religious studies major, this was probably brought up in religious studies class or something like that, but it stuck with me. So a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. What? (laughs) And this is like, for context, this is like right about the time when Jesus is about to be arrested and Judas is is about to betray him. Or it has, he recently just betrayed him and he's about to get arrested. Like, what the hell? What the hell, Mark? Why was he writing that? I remember in undergrad, when I was done with my last exam, Grey Goose. I broke out the Grey Goose. It was 10 a.m. I was like, don't give a fuck. Wow, so fancy. I would have broken out like fucking aristocrat in undergrad.